Welcome back to Detroit Strange. This podcast. That you're listening to. Right now. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. We're on the Thanksgiving Eve recording right now. Yes, I keep reading tomorrow's Thanksgiving. I know. The only reason I know is on my way here, I just stopped at the grocery store to buy something to cook for tomorrow. And then also, they're already blocking off Woodward for the parade. Oh, of course, there's a fucking parade. Yeah, the Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's like I didn't know there was a parade. Oh, for Thanksgiving the Detroit here. one is huge. Is yeah, it? I mean it's not as big, obviously, as the New York Macy Day Macy's yeah. Thanksgiving Day, which I went to once, and that was quite the day. Yeah, I went for a friend's birthday because her birthday is always around Thanksgiving, and that was the Macy's Day Parade. She wanted to go to New York, and I was like, "All right," so we did it. Uh, it, it was fun. It was an interesting trip. Uh, we stayed in a hostel. She didn't tell me that I was not registered and had to sleep on the floor uh, when I got there. Oh, no. It was fine. She brought me a sleeping mat, but I was also smuggled into the hostel. So that was an adventure. Um, yeah. No, but in general, the trip was good. She had like um, she was turning 30 uh-huh. and she had a list of things she wanted to do by 30 kind of a deal. Okay. Like we got pedicures because she had never had a pedicure. Same. And they're nice. Uh, I've I not bet. had many, but they're nice. I gave myself like, I, I, yeah, like she's great my foot the other day. It is different. Yeah. Yeah. I when bet. somebody else does it. But yeah, we mostly just, you know, we walked the Brooklyn Bridge. We went to, did we go to a museum? I feel like we went to a museum. We went to the, the library. Okay. We, oh, we definitely went to the MoMA. Um, I've been to MoMA. I haven't been to the Met, but I've been to MoMA. Yeah. I haven't been to the Met either, which is weird. Yeah. And only just because I've had a number. I haven't been in many, many years, but I've had a number of trips. Yeah. And I like museums. So that's, yeah. Yeah. I've been to the Natural History Museum. Don't I recommend. was almost in, um, I don't know what it was for, but like a video shoot or commercial shoot because I twisted my ankle. And so sometimes they would go do things and I'd be like, meh. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy the views. And I was sitting outside the New York library. And so you had came a twisted ankle and you're sleeping on the floor. And yeah. the smoke. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a great trip. It was a mess. I was a mess. And somebody came up to me. It was like, do you have time this afternoon? We're doing this thing. And they wanted me to sign something and be in a video. And I was like, I don't, but thank you. And then, um, we did, so, we that did some project night at the museum. <laughs> they were exactly. asking to play Cleopatra. Exactly. But we did some fun things or too. Or like, Oakley, I don't know. <laughs> we went to Alice's Teacup, which that was really cool. Okay, it's it's like a a tea house restaurant yeah, thing, but you know, Alice like Mongolian or not Mongolian, uh, Magnolia. Yes, yeah. I was like, what? Mongolian uh, barbecue, just like yeah. a tea house. <laughs> we did go to a really nice Indian restaurant. I don't remember the name of it, but I it stands out in my memory. I mean, this was many moons ago. And what else did we do? Oh, we went to um the hot chocolate place. Serendipity. Okay. They have frozen hot chocolate. It's a thing. I don't know her, but I love that. Yeah. It was it was a fun trip, but like there were some weird aspects to it. And then we went to the Thanksgiving Day Parade and that was real wild. I've never seen more humans in my entire life. I don't know how I feel about it still to this day. It was... That's how I feel because I went to Times Square for New Year's Eve one. Oh my gosh. I, I hated it. I we used to, to think I wanted to do that. No. I have no desire to do that Absolutely whatsoever now. fucking not. For, for probably because of the parade experience of mine, I'm like, nope. Yeah, there's nope, nothing not fun. Me. I don't know. We like got off the subway, 
went up to Times Square and we're like, oh my God, this is fucking packed. But we had been pre-gaming, so we had to pee. So we went to the McDonald's. That's what was... I went to a McDonald's to pee and it was one of those ones where there was like some you had to buy something, you had something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I was like... Was it a two-story McDonald's? This was a two-story No, McDonald's. this one wasn't in Times Square. This one was in Brooklyn. Okay. Because this was after we went over the bridge. Gotcha. Yeah. And again, I had a blast on this trip. It was just there were some like very weird elements to the whole thing as yeah, well. Yeah, agree. Like same with my like New, Year- New Year's Eve experience. Like, we like had a blip of a stop at Times Square. And, like this is awful and crowded and I hate this. Okay. Let's go mm-hmm. to, I think we went to like St. John's Place, the college bar area. Just like okay. hold up at a bar until it was over. The best thing we did is we went to the Highline Park. I literally love the Highline. Yes. The Highline's fun. Yeah, that was pretty. And then... um. There's that like mall thing nearby in Chelsea. It's like an indoor mall, something. And it was a lot of artisanal shops. I don't know her. It was an interesting space. I didn't buy okay. anything because I couldn't afford it. And some bake. We had some really good bagels, but I don't remember the place. Oh, and we also went to Magnolia Bakery. Speaking of Magnolia. Yeah. Yeah. Not Mongolian Magnolia. Not, nope. Yep. 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 Uh, I do love a Mongolian barbecue though, every once in a while. Oh my though. gosh. I haven't been in at least a decade, but it used to be my favorite restaurant. I, I'm pretty sure. I haven't been in a long time either, but like, I just love a good stir fry. Let's go one time. Let's go. I Let's think there's it. one in Novi. Let's do it. That's the one I used to go to. Yeah. I'm, no. I'm so down. Because I remember like, they put it in Canton and we're like, ooh, what's this exotic new restaurant? Because it's Canton. Mm-hmm. We'd go there every once in a while, but it was never like a classic. It was. Our classics were always like Applebee's. We'd fucking love an Applebee's, oh, yeah. my family. No, in high school, it was Applebee's. Uh, we did. Half off apps. You can't beat it. We did go to Mongolian barbecue once in a while, though. But I think it's just because I would be like, Mongolian barbecue? Can we go yes. to Mongolian barbecue? And it was the same distance as everything. Because where I grew up, everything was 20 minutes. Yeah. Not in the, like, 10-mile-long strip mall that is Canton. Oh, no. There was plenty of strip malls. Don't worry about it. It's just we were 20 minutes from the strip malls. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they were there. A lot of, lot of trees and farms right near my neighborhood. But once you got past those trees and farms, all the strip malls. We galore. had trees and farms and then they built a family video. Fair. Yeah, because Fair. Canton. They finally built like um, a small strip mall uh, with like a 7-Eleven and a pizza place and, you know, like four restaurants or four things yeah. or whatever, like 10 minutes from my parents' house when I was in high school. Yeah. Fun yeah. game to play in Canton, by the way. Yeah. Find a major intersection that doesn't contain a pharmacy and or bank or credit union. Fun game. Challenge. (laughs) Try and find one. I have a fun game to play in commerce. Find the intersection of commerce, commerce and commerce. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's too much. It's too many commerces. So many commerces. This is is easy. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we do have a Thanksgiving Day parade in Detroit. It's kind. It's well, decently well televised, actually, too. And I used to work at a restaurant on the street where they staged the floats before the parade. Uh-huh. And so I remember working there and somebody just posted on Facebook who still works there. And he posted a picture of them lining up the floats. And then uh-huh. on my way here, all the, the Woodward was already starting to get shut down mm. for the parade route tomorrow. It's also the turkey trot, too. So yeah. they're shutting down that for that I've as well. Of. I yeah. think probably because of you. Yeah, I used to do it every year. Yeah. And then I used to go to a casino and win money every year for three years in a row. It was real weird. 
First year only because I parked at Greentown. What? I said I haven't been to a casino in Detroit in a minute. No, me either. No. This is pre-pandemic. I mean, I could count on my hands how many times I've been to one anyway. I could tell you the distinct story of going to each one. But this one, I started going after Turkey Trot just because to validate my parking. Yeah. So Greektown is the place to park. Well, anymore. I live in Detroit, so it's not actually the easiest option. But when I didn't, when I was living in Ferndale, I, yeah, I would go and park at Greektown. And I was like, well, I'll pay 20 bucks on my way out because whatever. Yeah. And then the first year I won money. You paid at Greektown? I've never paid at Greektown. No, no, no. To validate my parking. So I didn't pay. Oh. So I played on the machines. Oh, I've never even done that. I usually just park and go. I think it used to. I don't know. Somebody taught me this. Okay. I don't know when this was. This is like a decade ago, probably. Fair. So I played 20 bucks on, or maybe I just wanted to play 20 bucks on my way out. Maybe I'm lying to myself. I have no idea. But I won like 90 or something. So I was like, oh, this is a thing. And then the next year I won like 200. And then the next year I went to Motor City just to mix it up. And I went 300. And I was like, oh, and then the next year I lost money. And I was like, well, we're done. Yeah. (laughs) Tradition done. Yeah. I like a blackjack table. That's about like all I really play. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, I like the slots. I like the clue one. There's a clue slots? There's a clue slot. Of slots. course, there's a clue slot. Yeah. Slots. They don't have it. I think one of them hasn't, one doesn't, but I don't remember which one. I did Can have one. Can you still smoke in Detroit casinos? They have sections. Okay. So it's a very distinct section. It's very easy to avoid it too, because it's kind of like a separate yeah. room. You can't. It really, doesn't bother me too much yeah. anymore because it's really the only place you'll find smoking yeah. indoors, which is crazy to think about. That law didn't go into effect until I was in like high school, and it feels like it's been there forever. Oh, so for I still sure. remember like smoking or not. No, I mean I was obviously going out when it was still okay to do that, and I remember having to wash your clothes and that like literally the next day because it, they would be disgusting. Reek, yeah, and. Um, it still feels like it's always been like that for me. Yeah. Even though like I literally experienced and probably was smoking a cigarette at the time. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. I was bumming a cigarette at the time in those establishments. Fair. Yeah. I just remember like we used to go to this bar all the time in Canton called the Crow's Nest, which I think is okay. still there. I've heard that name. They have fantastic French onion soup. I will say that. We used to go there because like they had like just good food. But I remember is it their- in the downtown no no it's okay. kind of it was like right by our neighborhood okay was that like canton it was um on canton center between hanford and ford okay i don't know <laughs> hanford was weird it was like this really like long but fully residential street we canton, had some of those yeah yeah Canton was interesting i, no, I mean often. ford road was just like strip mall lane it was just like you could find every like big box retail store eventually you on still canton can center. yeah <laughs> well no, yeah because like yeah I just remember like just things popping up and mm-hmm. popping up and parking lots of other things. My family used to drive out to Ford Road sometimes for there was a Mexican restaurant. Mexican Village. Yes. We yeah. Love yeah. Mexican Village. That was a, a one staple. of the best restaurants in Canton. IMO. OK. Yeah. There was also like one of my favorite things in Canton just because how ridiculous it is. Mm-hmm. In the Meyer parking lot, the Meyer at Ford and Canton Center. Mm hmm. Uh, there was a Fazoli's in the parking lot. <gasps> oh my God. Of, Fazoli's is the best fast food restaurant to ever exist. I do love Fazoli's, but it didn't make it. And oh. then this high end Italian place like took over the building. Oh, interesting. And, like, yeah. So like it went from like garbage Italian to like 
Antonio's is what it's called now. Antonio's. Okay, but did they bring around free breadsticks all the time? Because that's the best part of Fazoli's is those oh, breadsticks. I don't, I can't remember. It's I been can a minute. tell you where the closest Fazoli's to my house is. This is how much I love Fazoli's. I didn't know those Fazoli's love of yours. I, I, I mean, I, I fuck with the Fazoli's, but I haven't been to one in years. Yeah. Probably I since mean, college. All about the baked ziti and okay. the breadsticks. All right. Love it. No, there's one, if you're going uh, on 75 South, there is a massive gas station i think it's a tim hortons and a fazoli's or something in it. it's like uh-huh. something no there's three restaurants in it and it's just a huge gas station that is the fazoli's you go on a road trip down south you better believe i'm stopping at that fazoli's did you ever have like a cc's pizza yeah we had one of those in canton for a minute i went to michigan state university and that was like the thing that we would do because it was so cheap it was so cheap and just like weird for anybody who doesn't know it was like all you basically buy entrance. Yeah, to this pizza buffet. Yeah. And they had like such classics as the macaroni and cheese pizza, which is like a pizza with like cava toppy noodles encrusted into it. And let's be specific. By pizza, you mean a thin layer of dough with some sauce thrown on top and something else eventually making oh, its way yeah. there. Yeah. It wasn't good. You get a ladle of ranch, everything's good. Yes. <laughs> That's again, college staple. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, sometimes you just need garbage food. I love, I love good food, but sometimes you need garbage food. The other day, I had the most glorious meal when I bought myself a small Hungry Howie's pizza with bacon and pineapple and the garlic ooh, crust because ooh. I was craving that garlic crust. Oh, yeah. I have not literally eaten Hungry Howie's probably 15 years. Like, so just maybe not that long, but like at least 10 years. I know it's been not that long because we had it the summer together in the hot tub. That was Hungry Howie. Oh, that was Hungry Howie's. It was. Maybe crust. that's why I got it back Stuffed into my crust. brain. Yeah. Because I was like, where did this craving come from? I happened to be down the street from one going yeah. home and I pre-ordered it so I could pick it up and then take it oh, home. Oh, yeah. But it was the best decision I've ever made. And I was like. Hungry Howie's doesn't slap often, but when it does, when it hits, it hits. It was the most perfect food at the moment. Don't want it every day. Don't want it every week. Don't want it every month. But I was perfect say, food at the moment. About to ask you, someone gives you the option between like a little Caesar's hot and ready and a hungry Howie's pizza. Here's the thing: Are we adding breadsticks to the order? Because no. that's going to change my answer. Then hungry Howie's. Okay. Yeah. But if we had breadsticks, as little Caesars. Yeah. Okay. I do like the little Howie's Caesar's breadsticks, breadsticks. Are trash. No mm-hmm. offense to them. I like the stuffed ones that have the cheese and pepperoni inside. I don't. I don't know her. They're fine. Okay. They're pretty good. But you said fine, pretty good. Like, that's not a selling point for me. I mean, I love anything you can just dunk in sauce, so. I love a Little Caesars breadstick. Oh, same. They come with that, like, little kitty pool of sauce. Exactly. That's that's the reason that you go to Little Caesars. You don't go for the pizza. You yeah. go for the breadsticks. The yeah. pizza. It's if, fine. It gets the job done. Yeah. If you're really hungry. It's not bad. I mean, they they're all Munster a little different. Cheese. There's Munster cheese in their cheese mix, which I think is interesting. Yeah. No, no, no. It's I not. I think it's bad. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Again, sometimes trash food yeah. is the way to go. Sometimes it's not. I Like my favorite example is like we were talking yesterday about like hot dogs, how like you couldn't eat a whole more than a package of hot dogs, which obviously nobody could eat more than a package. Well, some people yeah. could, but we are not those people. Correct. Even more than like one or two hot dogs, like, and I'm like, I'm the same way, but for some reason, you know, like those memes where it's like, do you want six mozzarella string cheeses? No. What if I deep fried them and gave you ranch? Give them all to me then. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing with this, where it's like, 
Do you want two hot dogs? Absolutely fucking not. Do you want 12 mini corn dogs? Absolutely. <laughs> Basically, if you fry it in some capacity. Yeah. Your stomach I love expands. a mini corn dog, though. Oh, yeah. Honey mustard and ketchup. Ugh. Yeah. No, corn dogs in general. And actually, I do. I haven't gotten this in a long time, but Trader Joe's has a really killer turkey corn dog. Love in that. the frozen section. Those are pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just loved in Japan. They called them America dogs. Cute. Yeah. Now I want snacks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll get some DoorDash after this. Okay, good. But I think we had some announcements before we get into the story. We do. So we are going to do one more episode this year, and that will be released on December 15th. Then we're going to take off a little holiday break for a second. So we'll be returning in January on January 12th, and we're going to do something a little different. Sure. We're going to do episode rewind where we revisit some of our early stories because our recording technology has changed a lot since then. We've learned a lot since 2019, 2018, 2019, 2019. Yes. Oh, I just like auction cuddled those years like 2018, 2018, 2019, <laughs> 2019. Can I get a 2019? Can I get a 2020? No. Well, and I know that. I've forgotten some of the information from those earlier episodes. So Same. anybody who's been listening along, you know, you, there was you, you that may one have we two. did two that was like 20 minutes long. It was one of mine. And I can't remember what Se- the I think it's 17 minutes. Okay. Yeah. We I think it was go- the cemetery. Okay. I'm pretty Which sure. Which is a bummer because that was a really interesting one. Because that yeah. fucking cursed statue. Yes. It sank twice. Yes. I twice. remember. Yeah. 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 Well, now you have the chance to possibly redo it again. We'll see what we choose. We're going to... Yeah, we're we're gonna talk amongst ourselves. Uh, although, if you have one that you would like to hear redone, yeah, hit us up because that would be a lot of fun. If you have any new information, if I loved how you did X, Y, and Z, but you forgot A, new information or just I remember liking it, but I don't remember it. Yeah, because that's kind of how I feel about some things. I might remember the big moments of it, but I don't remember all the yeah. the details. And I was really excited by some of those stories. So we're going to revisit them and, you know, bring them forward. Yeah. Give them a polished director's cut, director's cut of these episodes. Yeah. So this is your advanced knowledge or warning. If you hate that idea, <laughs> that's what's going to be happening in January. Yeah. Would you like to hear a story today? Absolutely. Fantastic. So I already told you there is actually a movie that was created off of the story. What I didn't I'm tell very you curious. is that it came out this year. Oh. Yeah. So the movie is relatively new. The is it Glass Onion? I'm just kidding. It is not. I want to see it. I do want to so see bad. that though. It's only in theaters for a week. Okay. Well, the week has one, already started. This was not in theaters. I okay. think it was a straight two. It is on Paramount Plus. Okay. And we'll do a little watch after the story. Sounds fun. Maybe record a little. Yeah. But I'm just going to say the title of the movie just to see if you're, if it's been in your purview. Jerry and Marge go large. No, but I love that title. Okay. We're just going to jump in then. All right. So, and there is a little bit of a road trip element here. It does not start in Detroit. We're going to be traveling to Everett, Michigan. I heard of her. We know of. We've been there before. The cemetery was there, that haunted cemetery. Yes. Mm -hmm. But didn't we stay in an Airbnb there one night? We stayed near there. We thought we stayed there. We talked that whole episode about how we stayed there. And then later we realized that we stayed in a neighboring city. Okay. Yeah. I've definitely stayed in an Airbnb in Everett, though. I can't remember which one. But like. I know the house we stayed in at the time was the one where the deer came up 
behind the house. Oh, that was Candy Apple Cottage. Candy Apple Cottage, yes. Yeah. And then we went to the donut place. Yes. And Claire. Yes. Cops and donuts. Yes. So Gerald Selby, age 64, one day found a loophole in the Michigan State lottery game, Windfall. Jerry and his wife, Marge, lived in the small town of Everett at the time. Population about 1900. That's and so small. It's very small. small. That's they, a third of my high school. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's smaller than my high school, not a third, though. And they would go on to take advantage of this loophole for nearly a decade. So we're going to learn a little bit about them first, though. Jerry, first up. He has one of those brains who just, like, loves puzzles and loves to figure things out. Very late. Like, yeah. Exactly. And growing up, he did have some problems with dyslexia. So he was not like an avid reader or anything of that just because of the, the troubles that he had with it. But in eighth grade, he took a standardized test and he found out that while reading was difficult for him, that he could solve math problems as good as any junior in college. Okay. So far advanced of an eighth grader. So Jerry and Marjorie, Marge, were high school sweethearts. And they got married on November 7th, 1956, when Jerry was still a high school senior. So they were 17-ish when they got married. That's too young, but okay. I, different it's times. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. But again, 1956. like Different, different times. times. People only lived to like 50 back then. No, I'm just kidding. I hope not. No. Um, so out of high school, they were married. He took a job at the Kellogg's factory. Okay. Through the years, the couple would also go on to have six children. While Jerry worked a series of jobs, he worked on jobs such as being a chemist at a sewage treatment plant, pharmaceutical salesman, computer operator, cereal packaging designer, kind of returning to Kellogg's, and eventually shift manager. So kind of bouncing around that, I'm guessing kind of due to his brain always wanting to know more. Yeah. I love the title of computer operator, too. Just I know, someone who uses I know a that you can't do that now as a title, but... Yeah. The 70s and the 60s. I can use a computer. Mm -hmm. So in 1966, though, he was so 10 years after they got married, he was working at the Kellogg's factory at this point in Battle uh. Creek. And he was a materials analyst, mostly working on designing boxes and liners to maximize freshness. Ooh. His office contained boxes of cereals from like competitors, which he would dry, heat, and weigh in the factory's lab to compare things like moisture levels. With the Kellogg's brand. Yeah. Both of his parents had been factory workers. His father had worked as a hose fitting plant and his mother had actually worked at the Kellogg's factory as well. So this was an environment he was very comfortable in. Uh -huh. One day, though, he noticed on one of the competitors boxes, General Mills specifically, a string of letters and numbers on the bottom. Now, all cereal companies would put something here to kind of indicate the time and place for production. Yeah. But the General Mills one was a little different. Uh -huh. And he was like, this is a code I need to crack. Why? Just because he liked cracking codes. Mm. So he went to a store. He found some General Mills boxes and some Kellogg's ones that had roughly been there about the same amount of time, bought them, and he decided to test the contents for moisture levels. He set up some ratios. And after a bit, he cracked their code. Okay. He figured out how to trace any General Mills box of cereal back to the exact plant, shift, and date and time where it was created. Yeah. So very like methodical. Specific. Yeah. yeah, methodical. In any other industry, cracking something like, like this could make like a huge difference. Yeah. 
However, in the cereal business, this wasn't the case. Yeah. It was just a fun puzzle. He tried to take it to some, you know, some higher levels and they were like, that's nice. That's cute. Cool. Yeah. We can't. I don't know how this helps us, but that's great. Exactly. But for him, it was all just about figuring it out. Yeah. I say this just to give you a little information on how his brain works, who he, you know, what kind of drives him forward. So his brain craved a little bit more, though. And eventually he enrolled in night classes at Kellogg Community College, otherwise known as Cornflake U. Okay. In his spare time, he would like to gain knowledge, always bringing his family along with his obsession of the moment. So kind of this brain that's kind of always going, going, going. Yeah. For example, mushrooms are a cool plant. We're going to go find morels in the forest. Geology is fascinating. Let's take a family trip to the gravel pits and find some Petoskey stones. And when his oldest Doug came to him while he was in high school and asked him for help counting rolls of coins, Jerry got the idea to start buying rolls of coins from the bank to find rare or other valuable coins. Uh So the two began to sit together in front of the TV at night, searching for buffalo nickels and silver mercury head dimes and things of that sort. Yeah. They would go on to make about $6,000 in doing this. Wow. Mm -hmm. Again, not about the money, though. This is all about... Intellectual pursuit. Exactly. So Jerry's thirst for knowledge also helped him to acquire more degrees through the years. First was an associate's from Cornflake U. All right. Then a bachelor's in mathematics and business from Western Michigan. Okay. And an MBA from Western. He also started a master's in mathematics, but due to family priorities and things like that, he never finished that one, but who cares? I mean, like, <laughs> you right. know, like it was all about so the much. pursuit of knowledge more than anything. And actually, I didn't write this one down, but there was a story about him going into a used bookstore and buying a bunch of mathematics books to further his knowledge in that area. So in 1984, Jerry was tired of working for other people. And he, alongside his wife, Marge, decided to purchase a local convenience store called The Corner Store. But this was only after Jerry had analyzed 32 convenience stores for sale in Michigan looking for the best purchase. Yeah. How did he decide it was best? He analyzed their financial histories, demographics of the town, traffic patterns of the surrounding roads, and found the perfect place. This is when the family moved to Everett, Michigan. Okay. So before, I think they'd just been closer to Battle Creek. I don't know the exact location. So again, a little bit about Everett, like we mentioned, 1900, very small. Yeah. Three McDonald's. Love that. One stoplight on Main Street. Okay. There is a combo subway gas station. A, they seem to love to do that. Uh-huh. If that's, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's one of those near me, too, so I can't <laughs> make it's fun. It's been a minute since I've eaten in a subway. I probably won't again. Yeah. That's how I feel. Fair. Uh, I know that they got a fresh facelift or something. There's still yoga mats in their bread and questionable yeah. fish in their tuna. Yep. So. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. So also a diner stuffed with animal heads mounted on the walls just to kind of give a vibe of the town. Yeah. The town itself is historically rooted in the auto industry as formerly there were two factories that provided parts for General Motors and Chrysler, uh-huh. kind of being the main industry. Yeah. Summer regularly would bring a shuffleboard tournament. Love that. And a music festival that touts being the world's largest hammered dulcimer gathering, which I adore. Yeah. <laughs> so... The family moved with the kids into a two-story house with white siding less than a mile from the store they had purchased on the edge of a forest in the Muskegon River. Okay. Sounds nice. 
Before long, the Selbys became a staple in the community and basically everybody knew them. Yeah. Marge, who up to this point had been a devoted housewife, otherwise known in the family as Marge the Sarge. Love that. And mother, she joined Jerry in the store. So this is her kind of re-entering or entering the, the workforce. Yeah. Marge was very well suited for this, though, as she was the type of woman who had not just maintained the house, but she could also clear a fallen tree with a chainsaw and she could sew something as intricate as a man's suit with no pattern. So love that for her. Hardworking, working, very smart, liked yes. to be involved. Yes. At the store, she kept the books, stocked the shelves, sometimes made the sandwiches, you know, that kind of stuff. And Jerry was in charge of cigarette and liquor purchases. Okay. They opened daily at 7 a.m., even on Christmas morning when even the local grocery store was closed. And they quickly found their pacing. Jerry even figured out things like if he put his beer cooler on defrost late at night, the bottles would get that layer of frost by the morning on them. Uh And that made them extra enticing to factory workers getting off of their night shift. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, again, always kind of thinking about these processes and trying to solve things, I guess. And the store was kind of a dream because, again, many puzzles around to figure out. A year after taking over, he thought to install a lottery machine. It was the only one in ever and one of few in the county. Uh It became a hit. Everyone who came in the store basically bought at least one ticket when they would come in. Okay. He offered 16-ish to 18-ish different instant games which earned him a 6% commission from the state for every ticket sold and 2% of all winnings from the tickets sold in the store. Okay. He advertised in the local paper and when sales on one game would fall, he would take the unsold tickets, tape a brand new penny, shiny penny to them, claiming them to be lucky pennies as like an extra. Yeah. Why don't you buy this ticket? Pretty soon he was selling about $300,000 in lottery tickets annually which brought him about $20,000 in profits annually. It's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. One customer eventually won $100,000. So he would also get that 2% you know, commission from that. Yeah, that's a good chunk of money. So not doing bad. Yeah. And again, we're in like the 80s, early 90s at this point. Yeah. So despite running the store that sold cigarettes, liquor, and the lottery tickets, this was not Jerry or Marge's jam. Jerry himself would have one dark beer on Christmas every year, and that was it. Uh, And Marge avoided drinking and the lottery completely, not being a fan of the risk. Fair. Yeah, she was very pragmatic in her decisions. Fair. I couldn't tell you the last time I bought a lottery ticket. I do once every two years, maybe, or something. You know what I mean? Like once in a while. I rarely buy them for myself. They usually come like a card from a distant relative or something. I bought one... In the past six months, only because a stranger in the parking lot at Meyer came up to me and told me I was going to win the Mega Millions. And I was like, am I? And then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fuck with this. It's, I don't know, two or three. I think it's $2. Yeah. Sure. sure. Why not? Yeah, Did yeah. I win? No. I think I would have heard if you had won. Was, yes. Was it the most interesting conversation? He also decided that I was related to either the Fords or the Dodges. I don't know. Some car sure. family. He's like, you look like them. And I was like, mm. you look like a Chrysler bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very strange conversation. Yeah. Not bad. Strange. Yeah. What interested Jerry most though, is he would occasionally buy a ticket here and there. Kind of like we're talking about yeah, yeah. it seems like, but he 
was interested in the way the lottery function. So the mathematics of it, okay. the statistics of it. But the profit from their lottery machines quickly meant that they could build an addition to their store. So they, they expanded the store and they hired an extra clerk to run the machine full time. So it was becoming bigger and bigger. And all of this helped pay for their children's education and advanced degrees. Makes sense. So doing well. So Jerry and Marge ran the store until the year 2000 when they decided to retire. Probably, you know, a good time for that. Yeah. Retired life was simple. Maybe a little too simple for them. Marge tried to busy herself with tasks around the house and property, you know, maintenance and things like that. While Jerry would, you know, watch science shows on TV and he began to hang out at the subway gas station uh, every day at 6 a.m. to drink coffee and read the Detroit News. Be a breakfast, Sammy. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if subway has breakfast, Sammy. They sure do. They, they got do. to. Oh, no. They have to. I, mm. Someone out there. Probably like a flatbread with like an egg beater in it. Yeah. Maybe a slice of ham. Yeah. No, thank you. Not for me. So sometimes he would stop by the corner store that they previously owned on the way home just to, hey, new owners, what's up? How's how's it going? going? Yeah. Yeah. And also it was on the way home. Yeah. One day while he was stopping in in 2003, Jerry walked into the store and noticed a brochure for a new state lottery game called Windfall. Okay. He read the rules and within three minutes worked out the actual math, statistics, and potential of it. Okay. The way to play. For a dollar ticket, you pick six numbers, one through 49, self-picked or computer generated, yeah. your choice. Then there would be a drawing for the six numbers by the Michigan Lottery. Six correct numbers got you the jackpot, which would go up kind of like the Mega Millions. Okay. And it was... Guaranteed to be at least two million. That was the lowest it would be, but it could go up to as much as five million. So unlike the Mega Millions, where the jackpot just keeps going until somebody wins it, yeah, windfall would cap out once it passed five million, and the prize money would be dispersed down to the low tier winners. So people with less matches, five, four, three. This was called a roll down. We will hear this word a lot. All right. And it would be announced by the Lottery Commission in advance of when it was going to happen. Like, hey, this week's going to be a roll down because we capped out over the five million because the the winnings were determined by the amount sold previous. Yeah. Yeah. The roll down would happen roughly about every six weeks or so. ish, Uh And it would also be used by the Michigan Lottery as a way to sell more tickets. Yeah. So, you know, people would want to play them because your odds go up during a roll down because you don't have to match as much. That's just simple. So the brochure showed the odds of various correct guesses with a one to 54 chance to pick three out of the six numbers, which would yield a hundred dollars during the windfall, mm-hmm. which would normally yield, I believe 10. Okay. So you're getting, you know, 10 times the amount. Yeah. Three numbers would normally win five in this instance would have been 50. Four would pay out a thousand instead of a hundred. So the odds are actually in the player's favor if they have enough tickets. Yeah. Statistically speaking, during a roll down week, a dollar ticket was actually now worth more than a dollar. Okay. Because it had exceeded yeah, yeah. the pot, if that makes sense. Yeah. So Jerry thought about it. He worked out the math very quickly. 
if he spent $1,100 on tickets, the odds are that he would have a four number winner, which would work out to $1,000. Uh-huh. And 18 or 19 three number winners, which would total another $900 collectively. Okay. So for an investment of $1,100, statistically speaking, he would collect 1900 in return. So a profit of $800. It's pretty good. Yeah. So he was kind of in disbelief. Like, how, how could this be? But the numbers just worked out. Yeah. So he didn't tell Marge about any of this. Marge wasn't a fan of the lottery, as I mentioned. Yeah. So he tested his theory first with a simulation. Basically, pencil, yellow pad of paper. I'm going to make a bunch of fake tickets with numbers on them. We're going to see how yeah. many would have, quote unquote, won. Yeah. He waited for a drawing and he counted his pretend winnings and he made some fake money. Uh-huh. And he was like, huh, this does work. So he waited for the next roll down after that. Again, another six weeks or whatever it was to be announced. And he drove to a convenience store in Messick, which was about 47 miles northwest of Everett. So he didn't have to answer any questions to anybody. And he bought $2,200 worth of tickets. Okay. Letting the machine pick. Yeah. A few days later was the actual drawing. And he sorted through his 2,200 tickets and circled all the two, three, and four number matches. There were no fives in this instance. Uh-huh. His winnings added up to 2150 so a loss of $50. Uh-huh. But he was pretty confident in his previous math. Odds are odds, not guarantees. That's why it's the lottery. Yeah. So he figured his mistake was not investing enough up top to guarantee. Oh, no. So that's a little scary. At this point, he's only lost $50. These are yeah. big numbers, like a couple grand, but also he's only lost $50. Yeah. And he was not an experienced gambler. That was not his jam. No. He was just a numbers guy. But there was something in him that really needed to test his theory again. So he waited for another one, returned to Messick that week, this time purchasing $3,400 in tickets. So much, yeah. That's 3,400 tickets. Oh, wow. Checking these would take hours. So he counted each one right there in the store because he did not want his wife to see. This time he won $6,300. Wow. So $2,900 return on investment there, which is a 46% profit margin. Okay. It's pretty good. Yeah. So the next time he went on to buy $8,000 worth of tickets and he almost doubled his money by winning $15,700, 49% profit margin. Wow. So he and Marge went on a vacation with a group of people and they camped at a state park in Alabama with some friends while sitting around the fire one night. That's the time Jerry decided to tell Marge. No. Mm. Bold move. Hey, hon, playing the lottery. Um, I kind of figured out a loophole, figured out how to beat it. And I've already won five figures was basically how that conversation went. Uh-huh. Her reaction. What do you think her reaction was? Oh, gosh. What are you doing over there? Nope. Silence. She just sat in disbelief. I'm going to guess waffling between anger and excitement. Yeah. After a few minutes, a smile crept up on her face. Uh She knew her husband's mind. She knew how it worked. She knew his penchant for complicated statistics. She trusted him. And I'm sure that $15,700 was not hurting the situation either. Yeah. So the couple started to do this together. Uh, 
they started to bet hundreds of thousands of dollars, spending hours and hours at convenience stores purchasing tickets. Seriously, like a full day just purchasing tickets. Oh, my God. Because you can only purchase 10 at a time per transaction. Oh, my God. You have to wait for them to print. Sometimes the machines jam, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, my God. They would then put their tickets into stacks of 5,000, take them home. After a drawing, they would then sit in their living room and start sorting. They would sort them by zero correct, two correct numbers, three, four, five. They would even go as far as to double count the tickets, making sure to miss nothing. Yeah. At first, they're mostly grown at this point. Like children didn't really get the math or how it worked and just were like that. That's mom and dad's crazy project. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes jumping in, mom and dad would count like or, you know, sort them way quicker than, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the couple didn't mind. And it was kind of like a game. So they enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, they're retired at this point. Yeah. They're retired people who like to work. Yeah. They wanted a task. Uh So in the summer of 2003, about six months after the first ticket was purchased, they invited family to come in on it. Let's pull our resources together. Yeah. The family collectively pooled $18,000 for the first bet. But they actually lost it all because a player that time hit the six numbers. Oh, no. This is the risk, right? Yeah. But they all trusted Jerry and tried again. And within two more plays, everyone had some returns. Okay. By June of that year, Jerry created a corporation called GS Investment Strategies, LLC. And invited family and friends to join. Basically, it's set up similar to a hedge fund. Charging $500 per share. Okay. He kept stacks of record books, keeping all the winning and losing tickets in case of an audit. And the losing tickets literally were put in bins and I think at first stored in their attic, eventually like a pole barn. Yeah. Just in case the IRS came like, what are you doing here? Nope. This is all legit. So he then started to meet with members of the group at a local place called Sugar Ray's Cafe, no longer open, just to talk about things. Yeah. Keep everybody up to date, probably disperse winnings at some point. Yeah. Members of GS Investment Strategies included a local attorney named James White, a machine and tool shop operator, Dave Huff, retired farmers, Lauren and Ray Gerber, three state troopers, a bank vice president, factory manager, and the Selby's accountant, Steve Wood, and more. Mm-hmm. By spring of 2005, so a few years later, the group had grown to 25 members strong and had played on 12 different roll-down weeks, uh-huh. increasing the size of the bet every time. Oof. At first, they saw $40,000 in profits, then eighty, then 160000 At one point, they did grow to, I believe, 32 members at the top, too. Uh-huh. Windfall, the game, actually went down to shutdown in May of 2005. So just not that long. Yeah. Not surprise. However. Yeah, it's the odds. Yeah. But what is surprising is the reason it shut down. Because of this guy? It had nothing to do with them. Really? It was because of lack of sales. Oh, my God. Is that not the craziest thing? That's so funny. Thing? Yeah. That's wild. Uh, and it would go on to be replaced by the classic Lotto 47. Okay. So everyone was kind of disappointed. But what disappointed Jerry and Marge most was not the actual money. It was the lack of their new favorite hobby. Yeah. So about a month later, early summer of 2005, Jerry received an email from one of the members of GS 
this member had found out that the that Massachusetts was promoting a brand new lottery game called Cash Windfall. Uh-huh. There were a few minor differences. Tickets were two dollars, not one. Uh-huh. You pick six numbers from one to forty six, not one to forty nine. So actually increasing the odds. Yeah. And the jackpot rolled down at two million, not five million. Okay. So quicker roll downs, really. Yeah. But otherwise, the structure was the same. Yeah. So Jerry got out his pencil and paper and started to calculate. The odds were very good. Now for the logistics. Massachusetts, more than 700 miles away. He didn't know any store owners there either who would let him stand there all day just purchasing tickets. So he emailed back asking if this other member knew anybody in Massachusetts who ran a store. As it turned out, he did. Uh A man named Paul Mardas, owner of Billy's Beverages. Billy's Beverages was located in Sunderland, Massachusetts, about 50 miles from the western border. This is when the Selbys hit the road in August of 2005 and drove the 12 hours to the East Coast. Oh, my gosh. When Paul first met the couple, he was on the verge of divorce but couldn't afford it. And the couple offered him a stake in the corporation, which he accepted so that they could come every six-ish weeks or so and stand there all day, many days in a row. Yeah. The financial security that Paul gained actually helped him to get the divorce. And he has since remarried and gains three stepchildren. So I guess good move for him. Sure. The second location was Jerry's Place, a nearby diner in South Deerfield, Massachusetts. Okay. Whose owner was also willing for a stake in their corporation to let them do this. Yeah. So they quickly found their pacing for these trips. Starting every morning at 530 in the morning. Before the stores were even open to the public, they would start printing tickets through 6 p.m. for a week at a time. Yeah. They would then retreat back to a red roof inn and begin their routine of organizing the tickets. When the drawing was made, they'd start sorting piles of tickets everywhere. Counting the roughly $70,000 in tickets took them about 10 days, working about 10 hours each day. That's crazy. Yeah. So this trip- And also a red roof inn. I know exactly. Like, if you ever get those money, they're like red roof. That wasn't their sure. vibe. Okay. They just, they like the simple. That's For what they sure. wanted. Okay. That is like a comfort in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nope. Red roof in. So they would only leave the room to grab lunch. Yeah. They'd claim the winnings, return back to Michigan with tens of thousands of losing tickets, and add them to their storage barn. This barn. I know. Yeah. I have somewhere later how many bins were filled too so that'll be fun the first time this happened was august 29th they bought the sixty thousand dollars of tickets for a hundred and twenty thousand dollar investment after that they increased the wager to three hundred and twelve thousand tickets each time and sometimes going as high as three hundred and sixty thousand tickets so seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars ah In April of 2010, a compliance officer for the lottery system was sent to Billy's Beverages and Jerry's Place. But after observing things, he reported that nothing was out of the ordinary, stating that, quote, everything is very organized and runs smoothly. Uh The couple went on to do this for almost six years. Oh, my God. Making the trip every time there was going to be a roll down. This is about seven times a year, roughly. Yeah. And they would spend over $600,000 in total. They got to a place where they were spending about $600,000 in total every trip. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
According to lottery regulations, customers weren't allowed to operate their own terminals, nor were they allowed to be purchasing outside of normal business hours. Both of these were things that were happening. But because of the LLC, Mm -hmm. he wasn't necessarily a customer because the store owners were members. They could hire the Selby's to print tickets. Uh So the gray area. Yeah. But we're going to add another layer to this. Gosh. Because in the meantime, about seven months prior, so early 2005, a college student at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology named James Harvey had figured out the same loophole. James spent most of his time working on an independent study project for his mathematics degree, studying no other than lottery games. Uh-huh. He was comparing the popular games Powerball and Mega Millions to see which offered a better chance at winning. He also analyzed other state games, including Cash Windfall. Uh-huh. So after finding the same loophole that statistically spe- speaking meant a $2 ticket was worth more than $2, he recruited a group of friends to his dorm at Random Hall to talk strategy. Uh-huh. And then he invited about 50 people, so fellow students, some professors, to throw in $20 each for a total of $1,000. This would equal 500 tickets for the February roll down. This would win them $3,000. So $2,000 return on investment. That's pretty good. Yeah. James Harvey brought his friend Euron Liu to manage the group as well. Liu was an electrical engineering, computer science, and math major with a penchant for breaking the rules from time to time, but always kind of in service of a point. Yeah. For example, one time he found a flaw in, or he wanted to point out that there was a flaw in security. So he stole 620 passwords from students and professors. Okay. So the two of them formed their own LLC, Random Strategies Investment, named after the dorm that they were living in. Yeah, yeah. Gradually, they too increased the money and they found more backers and started to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on tickets, around $600,000. However, they did not leave the choosing of the numbers up to the computer as they didn't want to repeat. Uh So they would fill them in by hand. Oh, God. Yeah. Tiny ovals, pencils. Too much. Yeah. Over the years, they would experience the same increase in, you know, winnings. In yeah, the yeah. Selby group, roughly about $3.5 million in profits. Uh-huh. Enter the third group doing this. Oh, God. A group of scientists from Boston University, Northeastern University, headed by Ying Zhang. You see, Zhang had an argument with some friends about the exploitative nature of the lottery and researched the Massachusetts lottery to prove his point. Basically, like, because the lottery takes advantage of people who are not as affluent. Yeah. Very well known. But in his research, he found the loophole. Uh So he brought it on friends and created his own LLC, Dr. Zhang Lottery Club Limited Partnership. Okay. The group began to wage between 300000 and 500000 on individual roll-down weeks. Zhang was so successful that he eventually quit his job as a biomedical researcher to focus on the lottery full-time. Dang. Mm-hmm. He, too, was also smart enough to store all of his losing tickets in the attic just in case, but they became so heavy that the weight of them caused his ceiling to crack. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. It should be noted that the Massachusetts State Lottery was monitoring monitoring all sales to prevent manipulations of their games. Yeah. All sale information went straight to them in real time, noting the number of tickets sold at each store in the state. Yeah. 
any agent selling more than $5,000 in tickets per day had to get a special waiver so the officials could detect unusually high betting. Uh-huh. And they weren't in the dark. They noticed the anomalies in the cash windfall game. Yeah. I say notice because not much was done about that. Yeah. In July, a store manager in Cambridge called the headquarters because a kid from MIT walked in the door and asked to buy $28,000 in tickets. Uh-huh. The store manager just wanted to check that that was legal because that seemed weird as fuck. Yeah. The same week, a dozen stores requested waivers to increase their cash windfall betting limits. Uh-huh. Three of these stores were very close to where Zhang lived, the MIT student. Uh-huh. And the fourth was just one town away. Lottery compliance officers visited the stores and found two violations. A student was scanning computerized betting slips. And the store had extended credit, allowing slips to be scanned before they were paid for. And this was a result of choosing the numbers rather than playing the computer generated ones. Yeah. So this is also called free bet, which I guess is kind of an issue. Okay. Upon further investigation, there were 23 stores across the state violating the free bet feature. But the only thing they could do is suspend or revoke the store's license to sell. So they let them off with warnings. Uh Uh-huh. Because basically, all of this benefited the lottery system, too. Yeah. So right. don't do the thing you're not supposed to do, but keep helping us. Right. Around 2008, so a few years later, Jerry found out about the other groups betting large bets. He didn't think too much of it. They were just kind of on the radar. Around 2010, though, the group of MIT students were amping up their game. They had noticed the competition and their profit margins, margins were declining slightly. Since the Selbys had come into the game, the winnings were now being kind of split yeah so this got them thinking was there a way to freeze them out they started to think about it and they figured out that they could force a roll down week to happen with such little like notice to everybody else that most customers would not know it was a roll going to be a roll down week yeah so basically if they bought i know they're already buying a shit ton but if they bought double a shit ton they would force it into rollout because the pot would get so big interesting okay On August 16th of 2010, the state had not announced a roll down because the jackpot was only 1.6 million, not the 2 million required. This is when Harvey and the MIT group saw an opening. So over three and a half days, they bought $700,000 in lottery tickets. So one point or $700,000 lottery tickets. So $1.4 million worth of lottery tickets. Holy shit. This would tip the jackpot over 2 million before anyone would even notice and before the roll down could be announced. Uh huh. No one expected it. They were the only ones that really knew. They profited about $700,000 that time. Damn. Mm-hmm. The lottery employees were pretty much stumped by how did that happen? Yeah. One employee guessed that one large betting group triggered it. They thought it was Jerry's group, though. Oh. Because they were kind of on the radar. In an email he wrote to other employees, it stated, quote, FYI. Michigan guy decided last Friday to push jackpot over two mil. The action they took? Well, pretty much they did the only thing they could do, and they installed new software scripts to notify them of any high sales quicker. Gotcha. So Jerry got wind of all this, and he was kind of fuming when he learned about the surprise roll down, because that's digging into his system. yeah. Yeah. And he came up with a plan. He speculated that they would try again around Christmas. The next drawing being December 27th, to be exact. Uh-huh. He thought this due to the fact that many convenience stores are closed for the holiday, thus making betting activity a little slower around them. Yeah. 
perfect time for a strike. So Jerry called up his friend Martis at Billy's Beverages and he asked him to call the lottery headquarters to see if stores were reporting any spikes in sales. It was confirmed that, yes, five stores saw a surge around that time. Uh Jerry hopped into his truck, leaving Marge behind, and drove on Christmas Day to Jerry's place, where he spent hours printing 45,000 tickets. Wow. He printed until the dark hours of the night when the store was closed. This is when there was a knock on the door. (laughs) Yes. Martis, standing behind the counter, just kind of hanging out with Jerry, Went to open the door a crack to see who was there. It was Yaron Liu from MIT. Oh my gosh. Face off. <laughs> who stated, according to Jerry, quote, I'm from the other club and I think it would be mutually beneficial if we knew how much money each of us were playing. It's not wrong. Yeah. Jerry suspected, though, that the MIT kids wanted to come to an agreement to play at different times. Uh-huh. And... This wasn't ethical in his mind, so he refused. Okay, bro. I do get it to a certain degree because then it's like more calculating. It's not just we're playing as groups. This, Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of grayness going on here. Yeah. Remember that new software? Yeah. Well, they were still pretty slow to react and a roll down was triggered with no announcement ahead of time uh-huh. during this drawing. Jerry's group went on to net about $200,000 in profits. Wow. So he drove back to Michigan with his head held high because he felt he played by the rules. Sure. (laughs) One of the largest winnings, by the way, that GS Investment Strategies, his group, would win in the Massachusetts windfall game is when they collectively invested $515,000 in tickets and won $853,000 in tickets. Holy crap. Uh-huh. And they only lost during this whole time period three times. Uh, Once in 2007 with a purchase of $360,000 in tickets and, and a, a player had gotten the six digits. Yeah. So we're around 2010 right now. Okay. 2011, Boston Globe publication. Learned through a tip from a state employee that large volumes of tickets were being sold in various Massachusetts locations. Enter Andrea Estes, who hadn't thought much about the lottery. She was a reporter. Uh-huh. After investigation, though, using what's called the 2020 list, which is a record of players who had won at least 20 times and $20,000 in the previous year, Uh she found the two corporations, GS Investments and Random Strategies. Uh And she figured they were the reason for all this happening. Yeah. She visited Billy's Beverages, thinking that the Michigan players may be in town. When she walked in, she met Martis, the owner, and Marge was standing there. Uh She introduced herself as Globe Reporter, and Marge was instantly in Tense and refused to answer any questions. Uh-huh. Next, Estes drove to Jerry's place and met Jerry, who was also did not want to talk. It was easy to tell something's going on, so she requested public records from the lottery and discovered the other groups, including the MIT students. Uh-huh. She asked officials for comment, but all claimed ignorance at the lottery commission. Uh-huh. Her research caught the eye of Steve Grossman, a new state treasurer who told the lottery's executive director to do everything by the book. Days later, the lottery officials began to crack down on large betting groups and suspended the license of seven convenience stores, including Billy's Beverages and Jerry's Place. Just starting to hit the fan, sounds like. Mm -hmm. So Massachusetts State Inspector General Sullivan led this investigation. They conducted interviews, subpoenaed people, and checked documents in an effort to find something illegal. However, after thorough investigation, it was shown that everything happening was 100% legal. 
Uh-huh. High volume betting did not change the odds of any one person winning. Yeah. Because it was also kind of surmised that like because they were winning these like large amounts of money that somebody, a casual buyer was not winning anything. Yeah. That's, That's not, true. not how it works. Yeah. Estee's story broke on July 31st, 2011. Basically, stating the math of it, if, if somebody could spend at least $100,000, they were pretty much due to profit from it. Again, saying that it would hurt the casual player, that was later shown to be untrue. The story, though, quickly became known and embarrassed politicians. And the politicians thus publicly criticized the lottery's handling of the situation. And then pretty soon national outlets began to pick up the story. Two days later, Grossman's, the state treasurer, announced that the state would phase out cash windfall within a year. Uh In the meantime, each store was limited to $5,000 of ticket sales per day. They received backlash from reporters, though, who announced this was too little too late, as this has been going on for years at this point. Yeah. News of the phase out got to Jerry. He was pretty stunned. The story made it seem, though, like he was cheating and hurting the little man kind of a thing. And I personally, I see that aspect of it. But also the way he saw it is a lot of the money that they were putting into the tickets went to the local economies and infrastructure and education and things like that. And not that there's a lot of problems in the lottery. For sure. But he kind of was like, well, but it's doing good stuff around there. And then we're also bad. Yeah. Yeah. Realistically, though, too, the one profiting the most from this was still the lottery itself, which stands to gain a 40% cut of every ticket sold, which is probably why they didn't, quote unquote, notice most of this happening. Yeah. So Jerry and Marge decided to keep playing while they could. They looked for new stores um, as their stores were suspended. Jerry once walked into a Rite Aid, tried to explain to the managers what he wanted to do, and the cops were called. Oh, my gosh. This is when Jerry decided to set the record straight. He wasn't scamming anybody. And he called up Estee as the reporter to give her an interview finally and gave a detailed account of the actual scam, which was how the MIT group had started forcing roll downs. Yeah. So after this broke, Grossman, the treasurer, announced that he had asked the state inspector general to conduct an investigation of all lottery procedures in the state. Thousands of internal lottery documents were examined and interviews of officials and players were given to determine if there had been any corruption. The last time that Jerry and Marge played cash windfall was in January 2012, right before it was shut down. Their final total was a gross of nearly $27 million in the nine years that they had been playing between Michigan and Massachusetts, netting oh $7.75 million in profit before taxes. That's crazy. Yeah, it was $850,000 in Michigan and $6.9 million in Massachusetts. That's so much money. Yeah. This was distributed amongst the players in GS investment strategies. So it was, you know, the 25 to 32 people. Yeah. Most of whom were their family members, like their children and even their grandchildren. Yeah. So, yeah. Six months, though, after the shutdown of Cash Windfall, the Massachusetts Inspector General released a 25-page report on the findings of their investigation. Uh, While it didn't totally absolve the Selbys because they had broken the law by operating the terminals themselves and going outside of regular business hours. Yeah. It stated that the group's basically just taking advantage of the game's unique features. Uh, It also stated that there was no evidence that the game harmed anyone. There was no little guy being squashed by the big players. Over that seven and a half years, too, by the way, their LLC had collectively purchased 
400 million dollars in tickets uh 16 million dollars of that which would become state revenue Big groups did not in any way crowd out, reduce winnings for small players. And later, a financial reporter for Reuters would go on to argue that it was possibly even more fair of a game than other lottery games because it attracted both wealthy and non-wealthy players, giving them the same advantage during the roll down. Yeah. So what did everybody do with all their winnings? From the Selby's, the GS group. Yeah. Steve Wood, the accountant, their accountant, went on four cruises and renovated his house. Uh-huh. Dave Huff, tool shop operator in Everett, Went on to report that the game helped him pay for his children's education and supported them to go to law school. And remember those detailed record books? Well, Jerry March kept uh, every losing ticket and it came to $18 million worth of tickets in these bins. Like oh that's my God. Purchase price in 65 large plastic totes stored in their barn. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for Marge, she just kept her winnings and savings for the most part. Jerry bought a new Ford F-350 truck and camping trailer, as well as U.S. Mint coins, eventually filling five safety deposit boxes with silver and gold coins, just in case. Uh, They also invested in their children and grandchildren's education and great-grandchildren, I believe, too, along the way. Wow. So the couple actually celebrated, I believe, their 66th wedding anniversary on November 7th of this year. And the big question... Does Jerry still play the lottery? Yes. Occasionally. Okay. Uh, he's still on the lookout for another loophole. He hasn't really found one. One time he saw something in Florida that was similar, but not similar enough. Yeah. He's tried his hand to figure out Powerball, hoping to find some hot numbers uh-huh. to no avail. He'll play Texas Hold'em at the casino from time to time. Marge will go with him, but she doesn't play. He'll hand her $100. She'll come back later with her $100. Yeah. And give it back to him, which I'm like, no, honey, keep that. But yeah, she had her own money, though, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Also, their lives remain mostly unchanged, even though they were millionaires at this point. Uh, they stayed in their same house, few renovations around it, but they still host family gatherings during which Marge will run the kitchen, make her most loved, famous toffee candy for everybody. Uh, make sure to hand wash the dishes because she never thought to buy a dishwasher even. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. The first uh, thing uh-huh. I'd buy. Uh-huh. And like I said, a lot of uh, the money went to help fund education for their 14 grandchildren, and 10 great grandchildren. Wow. In the meantime, too, Jerry has also uh, started a construction business in Traverse City that focuses on housing for veterans, mostly Marge being one of his largest investors. Oh, I'm pretty sure they moved up to there as well. Yeah. They still get together with the lottery group from time to time here and there. And as for Harvey and Lou from MIT, the two MIT boys, they went on to fund an internet startup company to join the tech industry. Uh. And I don't have updates about the other professors from the other schools, but after a 2018 article by Jason Fagone in Huffington Post named Jerry and Marge go large. There was inspiration to create a film of the same thing. So screenwriter Brad Copeland took on the project and wrote it. And it was produced by Gil Netter and Amy Bear with director David Frankel. And the movie stars Brian Cranston and Annette Bening as the couple in the movie and is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I love those two. That's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. And all the articles are delightful. Annette Benning and Brian Cranston actually went and hung out with Jerry and Marge for uh, like 
a while to get to know them and stuff. And there's all yeah. these nice little kind of moments like that. And there's some articles out there. Yeah. Uh, describing those nice moments. And that is the story of Jerry Selby, who figured out the loophole in the Michigan lottery. That's crazy. I can't believe how much money they won. Yeah. Uh, real quick, my sources. There's actually not many because I found some awesome articles on it. History versus Hollywood.com. And then uh, Huffington, the Huffington Post article, Jerry Marge Go Large from March of 2018 by Jason Fagone. And LA Times article called Jerry Marge Go Large, True Story Paramount by Josh Roddenberg from June of this year. That's, it's a crazy story. I couldn't stop. Yeah. It's one of those. There's nothing sad in it. Yeah. It's all just kind of like people made money. Yeah. Yeah. But also nothing, literally nothing was illegal, which is the wildest bit about it. I mean, there's some shadiness in there for sure. Oh, for sure. But all within like. Legal. Legality. Yeah. Sketching out illegal. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. My pleasure. I'm not inspired to play the lottery anymore because I'm not smart enough to figure out the loopholes. Oh, but I me love either. that for them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I have a somewhat untraditional two truths and a lie because yeah. I'm stealing it from the Morning Brew. The Morning Brew is like a weekly newsletter or like a daily newsletter that like summarizes the news. Okay, yeah, yeah. And on Thursdays, they have... Nope, Wednesdays. That's today. That's today. Thursday is tomorrow. Thursday is tomorrow. They have a game in their... You can see in the future. <laughs> yes. But they have a game in their Wednesday newsletter called Three Headlines and a Lie. Oh, I love it. So I figured I would read... Let's play to it. That. Yeah. So headline number one, spam will be available in a figgy pudding flavor this winter. <gasps> number two. That hurts my soul. Yeah. Parisian Undertaker aims to introduce bicycle hearse in France. Okay. Number three, Christmas markets around the country facing catastrophic mulled wine shortage. Number four, investigators identify foot found in Yellowstone hot pool. So one of those is a lie. I know. I'm between one and three right now. Okay. Um, I'm going to say one just because I hope it's not true because that's disgusting. Number one is true. Oh, damn it. I knew it was, but I just really wanted it out to be. It looks gross, too, because they put it in like a fluted pan mold. Spam is already like soft and squishy. Why do you need to? No. Yeah. It looks like a bunt cake of spam. Oh, God. No. Yeah, that is true. Mm -mm. Oh, I have to guess again. Three. The mauled wine one. Three is the lie. Okay. Which means there's a Parisian undertaker making a bicycle hearse and there's a foot found in Yellowstone. Is it sad that neither of those are as shocking as they should be? It's 2022, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Nothing is as shocking as it should be and everything's yeah. well, just kind of like Well, here's lying. my thought process. Yellowstone is real dangerous. Yeah. So I'm not shocked by that at all. Like, really dangerous and most just of the water... Just finding a foot, though? Yeah, but most of the water there is so highly acidic True. and hot... You can't touch it. So if somebody tried to dip their foot in, it would fall off. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Sure. It's scary. I loved I loved Yellowstone when I went to it. I've never been. One of the most beautiful spaces. Let's go. I want to okay. go again. Because I there was stuff I missed. There's a, a it's called Yellowstone's Grand Canyon uh-huh. there, but there was a cloud in it, so I couldn't see it. So I need to go again. Okay. Yeah. 
but it was magical. Like it's a beautiful, beautiful space. Yeah. And also I listened to so many things and read so many stories about things that happen in national parks that uh, that that one didn't phase me at all. Fair. I mean, I don't want it. I don't yeah. want it, but yeah. And then the bicycle thing seems quirky enough to be true. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun though. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for the morning brew. A great newsletter too. If you need a daily news skim. Not That's fast, good to know. But yeah. Great. I think though that wraps us like a roll down week at the yeah. end. <laughs> wraps us like 6,500 tickets in plastic tubs or whatever. Yep. Yep. Bins. Yeah. Rubbermaid. Rubbermaid. Just, totes. Yes. Rubbermaid totes. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah. Well, if you want to follow us on our social media at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Detroit Strange on Facebook, Twitter. No, who we're knows skipping that, her. We're skipping Who knows that Twitter's one. still up at this point. So well, I think we've tweeted like three times total. So I think we're good on that anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You won't find us on like Mastatoon or Hive either. No, no. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Too but, you know, our email address is still DetroitStrange at gmail.com. So you can always email us there if you have anything to say. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten better at checking messages on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to support the show, you know, tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell an enemy Bring it up at Thanksgiving. Be like, LOL. Well, it's tomorrow, though. So this is coming after that. Yeah. But next Thanksgiving. If you have time like, travel, keep the <laughs> Yes. At Christmas, tell, then. Tell somebody at the holidays. Yeah. gatherings because we all have a million give the gift of strange gatherings. tell someone give the gift of strange that's our new tagline give yeah. the gift of strange i love it yes and yeah we've always also got the patreon and we've got our merch over at threadless yeah as well so another than that you know until next time until next time Stay strange. And stay tuned if you want to hear a little synopsis of the movie. Yeah. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Sax and Violence. Detroit Strange. Testing, one, two, three. Will you say something? I could say something. Okay. We're both uh, a go. A go. A go. So we just got done watching Jerry and Marge go large. Yes. The movie based off the story just told earlier. Yeah. Which if you're ever debating, should you read the book first or watch the movie first or listen to the story for the yeah. actual story first or watch the movie first? I say do the the actual thing first. Yeah. No, if it's based on a true event, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For true events. Specific, yeah. Specifically. Because uh, it did make the watch more interesting seeing the changes that ever that, you know, creatively happened. Yeah. For the movie and trying to assess, like, why was that changed? And. Yeah, it, it was felt fun. like, uh, well, it was interesting just because the story you told was mostly like facts and a timeline as yeah. with the story. It was kind of like. Almost reminds me of what we do at Thursday Night Live where we come up with the beats and then how you get between them is just made up. Yeah, for sure. And that's exactly what this movie was. So it was just like this weird improvised version of the story you told. Yeah. And very sped up. Oh my gosh. Yes. We were like six years in in like the first 20 minutes. Yeah. It was interesting. And the the timeline of the movie was also interesting. We talked about this during a bit, but 
I have no idea when the movie was set. I don't know if it was when this was actually happening. If it was now, there were references in both ways that confused me. And maybe that was done purposefully to have it not have a time. I don't know. I don't know. No, because the one reference was literally 2013. Yeah. And it's saying that being like a like a those that candy so old it's from 2013. Like was the line, I think, or something like that. And now I'm like, did he say 23? No, 2003. No, that that can't be mistaken for 2013. Yeah, so like no idea when this movie was set. But then in the uh, dorm room of the, yeah. the college students from Harvard, not yeah. MIT, there were posters that were very reminiscent of the early outs. Like there was like a Scream poster in there. And I forget what the other ones were, but they were all not current or contemporary. Yeah. And then also like he had an Alienware laptop, which like didn't become a thing until like the late 2000s, early 2010s, to my knowledge, at least. They okay. could have been around, but like they really, did, I don't think they were at least popular until then, like gaming laptops. Mm-hmm. And just the way it looked, it looked like that type, like around from around that year. Which again is when it was actually happening. So, well, no, because I'm talking later, like 2010s. No, Alienware. this actually happened though. Oh, did it go into the 2010s? Yeah. Okay. The final lottery oh, in yeah. Massachusetts was officially ended in 2012. Okay. 2011 marked the disbanding or like the phase out of it mm-hmm. but tw- i think it was like january 2012 that it actually that was the last draw or something like that yeah i remember you saying that because we were talking about like why 20 that's why 2013 made no sense for this to like start yeah yeah so it's so i'm unclear about that yeah but, <laughs> but like, everything it didn't clipped. really detract from the story like from the movie it didn't detract from the movie no like, if i had just been watching it and not known the dates in my head i wouldn't have really been thinking about it at it was all. It's like a fun game of spot the difference. Yeah. They yeah. Play together. I mean the vibe of the movie because it's a lot of small town yeah. in it. The vibe was definitely it's not now. Yeah. We gotta but, save the town and bring back the jazz festival. Yeah. I mean it's cute. They added cute messages into it. They they made it kind of a debate of like he's always been a numbers guy. He's never been like a people guy. Yeah. And so he's learning with his talent, his mathematical talent, he's finding ways to connect with people. Yeah. And it became a story more about that. And it was very sweet. Here's it was. the biggest takeaway. It was a very sweet movie. Very feel good. Yeah. Like if you need a little pick me up, you know, little. Yeah. Whatever. Very feel good. It clips very fast. There's a few characters that come out of left field. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We're like, I haven't seen you before. Why? Why are why do you have dialogue? And just like right? B plots, the story did not need. Yeah, yeah. But I get why they're there because screenwriting. Yeah, and you know they did turn the the college student more into a villain, which is why I think they changed it to Harvard over MIT. To be honest, yeah, to make him just a more little pretentious. bit more. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean MIT is a no. Fantastic for, school. It's still an Ivy, I think, too, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like Harvard, like for math. Name a pretentious school in America, Harvard. For math and science. Yeah. MIT. But yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're going to do Harvard or Yale. Yeah. Maybe Princeton. Yeah. And those are your three. If you're watching a Cinderella story, it's Princeton because <laughs> Prince, Cinderella. Uh, oh, yeah. there we go. Have you seen that movie? Uh, a while ago. Okay. I don't know if it holds up. I don't think it will for, or would for some reason, but I can't really say I why. think it'd be funny to see how not well it holds up but I don't yeah. think it'd be like a classic we're like oh it's so good to watch it again and again okay that's yeah. fair one other thing though I do want to go yeah. back to no for sure part. for sure uh I, I thought all of the acting was very well done yeah fantastic fantastic cast. some of the townspeople were given community theater with like the <laughs> hamminess but like <laughs> I didn't mind it yeah 
again, I think I made this comment too. There were some times it was slightly reminiscent of like a Lifetime or Hallmark movie. Yes. Not in a bad way though. Again, because those no, movies it, are feel good and that vibe kind of made sense. Yeah. Like, I like, I like Lifetime and movies like that, like they have a place in cinema. Yes. Like they might not be like, critically acclaimed mm-hmm. but they they're good oh i will be watching nothing they are yeah i'll be watching movie, yeah. m- mostly lifetime and hallmark movies up until the end of the year from now <laughs> this point oh on. yeah it's i've already watched a few <laughs> i'm excited to watch the Lindsay lohan one i am excited for you to watch it because i want to talk to somebody about it yes <laughs> but we- yeah so oh sorry i was gonna say should we do letterbox oh well, i'm gonna do yeah, do your letterbox review and I'm going to come up with mine. I've been trying to get back into letterboxing ever. Uh, that's not a good Letterboxing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to um I've been trying to use letterboxed more and like review movies cuz it is good to like keep track of the movies you've watched and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I already wrote my review for this one. We like literally right after the movie. I gave it 3 stars. A-list actors with a B-movie script. Wild story given the lifetime movie treatment. <laughs> that's perfect. Right? I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mine would also be three out of five stars. Yeah. It would be interesting story. Great, fantastic cast. Yeah. Uh, Big names. Like Annette Benning and Brian Cranston. I don't know if we said that. That's like the two leads. Yeah. Uh, And then Rain Wilson. And then that one guy, I never know his name, but Tori Kelly, the singer. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not done with my review though. Yes, okay. yes, sorry. So feel good, great, fantastic cast. Could have used a little finesse. Yeah. It's like another pass through of that script. Yeah, yeah. But again, we have to put it in the context of it it was a straight to streaming right. movie and they're they're a different breed sometimes. Yeah. So and again Again, great for what it was. Yes. A fun exactly. watch. Yeah. 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 Two thumbs up if you're in the right mood. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If you want something just light. Yeah. If you just, want something light, that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Light and kind of mathy. They do like the math effects on the screen a few times. They do like the like math nonsensical effects. math with the water. Mm-hmm. It's like doing like a velocity formula for calculating the statistics mm-hmm. of a. One other thing I thought was interesting that there was a voiceover and it was Rain Wilson's character who was like the convenience a, a tertiary character. Yeah. yeah, I mean slightly tertiary, I guess. But yeah, I'd it say was secondary. He got a little B plot. You're with right. His wife. He was secondary. Yeah. At the beginning and the, at the end. Yeah. And that was it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also at the end, so he <laughs> he did get his divorce. Yes. <laughs> in the movie, and he was super happy about it, and he's gonna get a really cool bachelor pad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what he was doing with his money. Oh, and the movie too. So in real life, it was, they talked to friends and family, but mostly family. And that's yeah. who the group was comprised of. But in the movie, they make it very, the town did it together and it was for the town. And then they. We got to save the jazz, jazz festival. Fest. <laughs> and have Tori <laughs> Kelly come sing in our jazz festival. Mm-hmm. Again, very feel good. Yes. Very feel good. Uh, but yeah, that is. Jerry and Marge go large. Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Really fun to watch after oh, knowing yeah. the story, especially, I'd say. Yes, definitely like watch it after listening to this because like it just made it so much better. Just because, again, you could, it was like spot the difference. Yeah. I mean, don't watch it with me because I will literally yell out every difference as I see it along I the way. I appreciated that. <laughs> no, that was 
No, that's that was, was two thousand dollars. No, that was five thousand dollars. Yeah. It's a movie you can talk during. That's the wrong number. Yeah. They did that for at least another year. It was sixty thousand. <laughs> Six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So enjoy. Yeah, no. Good feel good movie. Check it out. Or I'll not. Yeah. Whatever you're feeling. Yeah. And you know, I know we don't usually end the movie ones like this, but until next time. Stay, stay strange. strange. And watch out for Tori Kelly now playing at the Jazz Festival in Everett, Michigan. Singing, what's the name of the song? Uh, Dream a Little Dream? Yes. Made sure. no sense. Yep. Dream a little, little dream, dream of me. me. I will, Tori Kelly. <laughs> Who wouldn't?